This is the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050, the home of Argos football. Hey, look at that. Episode 9 of the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan here. Jeff Johnson will pop by here in a second. Also coming up with the program, S.J. Green. He's apparently made one or two nice catches over his career in the Canadian Football League. And for Argo fans, he's thankfully doing it now in Double Blue. My broadcast partner on Games on TSN 1050 for the home games, Mr. Jeff Johnson, is here. Good day. What's happening? Uh, everything is happening. It's Argo football. It's Ricky Ray. Is he going to be back for the weekend? And uh, it's a CNE. So everything all kind of wrapped up into one. So life is good. Fun, it's fun, fun. I like it. I like it. I should point out, by the way, if you haven't got your tickets yet for the game on uh, Saturday, it's 4 o'clock against Montreal. If you buy your ticket to the game, you get into the CNE for free. That's a good. That's not a good deal. That's a spectacular. Play deal. should be rammed. I would think so. Yeah. And I, when I was a kid, I remember watching uh, the Argos would play, and in Kingston, we never came down to Toronto. Like it was about halfway between here, and Montreal. In, in the seventies, Montreal was rocking a little bit more than Toronto was, so we'd go to Montreal, mm-hmm. and I'd see the the Argos play, and you'd see like the the all of the exhibition rides in the background. I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world to go to a football game and then go to the CNE. Yes. And now for people here, you can go to the Argo game and just by, by buying the ticket, you get into the X for free. So that's a hell of a deal. Well, Hoagie, you can swing it either way. Hit the X before, go to the Argo game, go to the Argo game, that's hit it. the X afterwards, right? Afternoon games, perfect. And it's it's always cotton candy day in your world. Yes. So there we go. Now we're talking. The problem is maybe we'll have to th- we'll need that sign. You must be this tall to get into the broadcast booth. <laughs> And you're out of a job. So. Wow. <laughs> oh, seriously? You well, got to take line. a shot at the it, height? It was there. Huh? I, I, I would not respect myself. Five foot if I nine and three quarters, one. by the way. Five foot solid nine and three quarters. Yeah. Solid there, three quarters. Yeah, there's a three quarter there. Uh, what did you think of the game in Montreal? I thought it was uh, a tough game. You know, mm. I was expecting it to be a tough game for the Argos. I mean, uh, Montreal's a, a really good football team. Mm-hmm. And they were coming off a number of losses. And had you know continued to put up a lot of yardage mm-hmm. against all of their teams, and uh, they frankly were quite angry, right? And mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean the Argos weren't also upset and frustrated with a couple of losses uh, mm-hmm. on their end, but the Argos had you know a key injury to deal with and some changes that were happening, and uh, you know just kind of looking at all the different uh, variables, um, I expected Montreal to win that football game. I think uh, it was a good tough hard-fought game you know there was a couple of uh, turnovers on the Argos behalf mm-hmm. that uh, you know played a key role I think in, in the outcome of the game but uh, a good hard battle and I, and I think an excellent segue into this week's game um, quarterbacks are meant to get hurt from time to time it's just the nature of the position when a quarterback changes and it's 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 a veteran that goes to a younger quarterback or there's a stylistic change or anything like that what's the impact in the room yeah, it's it's it can be significant if you mm-hmm. don't have the right parts to support the change. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, you know, there could be a lot of doubters, mm-hmm. right? A lot of doubters, possibly. Um, that uh, I mean, naturally, some people are more positive and some people are more negative, right? So the, the more negative guys might 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 doubt. Okay, mm-hmm. who's taking over? And if there's any any kind of shadow of doubt in someone's mind. That's going to affect the way they run their routes. They might come out really? of a break. Seriously. Potentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Potentially. Someone could come out of a break and maybe not be running full speed because they think, oh, this guy's not going to get it here. Right? Maybe they just don't have the experience of been running. Yeah. It should not be like that, mm-hmm. but it happens. Right? And um, 
I'm not, I'm not going to say that, you know, everybody in the room's doing that. And I'm not saying there's any, anybody on the Argos that are doing that now. But over my 14 years. How often would that happen? How many guys would, 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 I don't want to say, you know, drag the rear end a little bit because that had happened. But okay, I will. How often did that happen? Uh, I'd say it, it, it was, it happened throughout the years where there was some struggling, struggling times and yeah. a lot of, you know, kind of quarterback shifting. It happened not I don't want to say often but maybe 30% of the time but when it did happen mm-hmm. those no, guys weren't right. around very long well yeah right they weren't around very long what to, you've had situations where one quarterback was hurt another one come in it was, it was, can you think of stylistically like you know Bishop would come in for Damon yeah um, stuff like that and, and you know you get this guy with a cannon for an arm following an older guy who's a scrambler like different styles very different a little bit especially out of the backfield how difficult is that to to make that switch from one to the other well it it can be difficult to adjust on a week Mm -hmm. of preparation right because uh the timing's significantly different right so a quarterback that maybe throws the ball right when a guy before he makes his break and is working on timing the receiver needs to be ready that as soon as he whips that head around that ball's there Mm mm-hmm Whereas some quarterbacks, maybe they throw it a little bit later, right? Uh, there's a lot of little nuances, the velocity on the ball, those short passes. So me specifically coming out of the backfield, mm-hmm. you know, receiving a ball from a guy like Damon Allen, who had a little bit of finesse on the touch, sure. you know, yeah. on the ball coming out of the backfield, had some nice touch to it. And Michael didn't know what that word was. And Michael would just zip it, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> it, uh, so you were two extremes. How many fingers did Michael Bishop break on receivers over the course of his career in Toronto? Uh, I don't can't say exactly, but I've got two crooked fingers on my hand uh, to show. And he was he was responsible for at least one of those. And he was responsible for both of them. Really? Yeah. How so? Yeah. Uh, just you know what nature of position. Uh, you know, w- you know, I was catching the ball on one particular occasion. Thumbs were out. Mm-hmm. The ball was just coming with such intense velocity. Yeah. And as I caught the ball, my pinky finger was right at the end of where the point of the ball was coming in. Ooh. My hands were around the ball. Still made sure. the catch. Yeah. But when I looked down, right at the knuckle, my finger was out perpendicular from the rest of the hand. What goes through your mind when you see that? Well, it had happened two other times on some other fingers. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't panic. Yeah. I looked down and casually extracted the finger and put it back in place. You did that yourself? I did it myself. Yeah, wow. just because I had a little bit of experience with therapy and ha- it happening two previous times, but it was, uh, it can make you sweat. Uh, that was good. <laughs> um, so Ricky wasn't in last week, obviously. Uh, assess Matthews and assess Fajardo for us. Well, starting with Matthews, I think uh, it's tough to, you know, give a guy a half and, and mm-hmm. give him a good evaluation. Uh, I think he held on to the ball a little bit, maybe didn't have all enough confidence in you know getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he did get rid of it, it was often maybe not the third read. It would be a guy out to the flat, kind of that late throw to Coombs, mm-hmm. where he just sees somebody. I think he was uh, maybe the nerves were a little bit rattled. You know, maybe need a little, needs well, a little more time to get settled in. But I this think. isn't a guy making his first CFL start. No, right? I mean, right. should that still be there, or is it just new coach? It's always there, Hoagie. Yeah, you know. it's always there. And for a quarterback, I think it's different. Uh, it could be even, you know, a little more. Mm-hmm. I bet you even Ricky has a little bit of butterflies at the beginning of a football game. Ricky Ray. Ricky Ray. Where's number 15? Ricky Ray. He's done this before. I bet you he's got something. And okay. if he, I, I'm almost certain, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, everybody has a way of working through it, mm-hmm. whether it be, uh, you know, the warm-up, the first hit, the first throw. You know, I, I could turn around, you know, Damon Allen would make a play, and he'd come at the beginning of a game. He'd mm-hmm. make a play. He'd come into the huddle. And I could tell by the look in his eye whether it was going to be a great game or it was going to be a bad game. How so? 
because he didn't get into his zone. And when he was in his zone, there was a certain manner to the way his, his cadence and the way he spoke and the look in his eye was just different. And when he wasn't in the zone, it just, it was off. And, but you could see it in someone's mm -hmm. face, right? And for me personally, I needed to get into the game by being pushed to the edge and making a big hit. And if I kind of got that out of my system, I had a great football game. It's interesting how guys can pick that up. Like I don't know if you saw the, uh, the the game between BC and Saskatchewan on Sunday night, but TSN had the audio before the game of Wally Bono going into the room and saying, you know, this this isn't right. You know, you guys don't yes. look prepared. And he told Rolly Lombali, he said, go get your guys ready. Yeah. I thought, you know, I know, you know, Brillo's been doing this for a long time, but yeah. holy smokes, to be able to walk in and not be in that room constantly. Yeah. You know, coaches aren't in the room a lot before no. a game. To walk in and get that sense right like away. that, that something's wrong, that speaks volumes as to why Wally's been as good as he has been for a long time. It does. And uh, it also speaks volumes as to the performance that the BC Lions put on the field afterwards. Oh, terrible. Right? They were flat. Just awful. And I don't know if, you know, what went on in the le you know the week leading up to that, if there was some sort of Reading their fight in the, in the locker room or what was going on. Yeah. They were not... They were definitely not on the same page. You know, Jonathan Jennings was off. Yeah. Maybe it was the receivers that were off. Whatever it was, there was, you know, there, there's something going on in that locker room and it bled onto the field and, and Wally sensed it and, uh, you know, tried to do his best by having one of the leaders step up and, uh, and fix it, right? And, and the Argos the past couple of years have had a locker room, I think. Uh, I don't know what the issues were, but have had situations where maybe not everybody was in the game. And, you know, well, when the so team comes out and they're flat, they just you know big three was released because of that right you know the receiving core that uh, was supposed right. to be the, the the answer released the same day yeah um assess cody's play for us yeah um i i think uh you know cody brings a certain level of energy it's a different level of energy right well um, the, te the temple was there was a discernible difference between the tempo of the offense right. in the first half and second half and you know to a layman like me if i can pick that up Sure. Like, obviously. Yeah. I can imagine what it's like in that huddling for the guys, you know, on the line of scrimmage, breaking the huddle and getting up. Well, there. there's it a big night and day. Big difference in the tempo. And, uh, you know, there's guys, you know, can be great in practice and different on game day, mm -hmm. right? And there's, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts. And nerves are probably one of the biggest things. And, you know, anxiety and be able to calm your brain and, and mm -hmm. just be able to breathe it out. But I didn't even finish on the Jeff Matthews side. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, no, it's okay. But, I mean, the offense struggled to get first downs in the, in mm -hmm. the first half, right? There, there's no kidding that and sure. uh yeah is it all his fault no but there's other there's moving parts there with receivers and getting in sync and there's yeah. a lot of other things to consider mm -hmm. um you know the offense moved better in the second half cody i thought uh brought a dev different level of, of energy uh, and part of that is because he can run the ball sure. right part of it is for sure because he can run the ball and when he when he gets rattled he gets out of there and it's great when he drops the drop, you know, drops the boom and hammers someone on the defense, which is great. Right? On hammers one level. someone on the defense. That's great to see at one level. At the other level, with one quarterback nervous. on the shelf, sure. The last thing you need is another one to go there. No, you're right, but I don't mind it along the sideline against a DB. Okay, and hopefully that was a calculated hit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> once and against one of the, the big LBs coming yeah. across, right? Um, so he brings in a different level of energy, and uh, he moved the ball well. I thought. Mm -hmm. um, made some pretty good decisions and threw it with confidence. And the other thing that I think, and you can break this down from X's and O's, but um, you know, when you're playing one of the outside linebacker spots or the end, you have to be aware of getting outside a little bit to keep him in the pocket if that's the game plan defensively. Yes. Boy, did that open things up for Whitaker. Absolutely it did. I mean, come on. How exciting was that from yeah. a run game perspective, right? It was, uh, 
awesome to see the Argos rack up uh, close to 100 yards from one guy. I mm-hmm. mean, as a team, they're at a buck 73, which I think is the most yards they've had in a couple yeah. of years, right? So um, having a guy like Cody back there, it certainly opens up the running game. And, um, you know, and that goes against uh, what the Argos have been doing. And now, look, for Montreal, from a preparation standpoint, you know, it. Uh, I think they really have to step back and say, okay, what are we going to get this week? It's a similar scenario to last week, mm-hmm. right? Ricky's a, potentially a little further along, and maybe he's going to play. Maybe it's Cody. Maybe it's Jeff. And maybe it's the running game again, right? They so, have to prepare for, for Cody and that's Ricky right. for sure. That's right. Which cuts into their preparation time. Um, one of the negatives, and it's been a negative for the most part this year, and the coach is going to keep alluding to this until it's not a problem anymore, mm-hmm. but the penalties. Yes. Um, that was problematic again. It cost them a touchdown late in the game. And yeah. um, it's just... It's, uh, if you're in the middle of the action and something happens, I can understand that. But it's the pre-snap stuff. It's yes. the, it's just the. It's almost like they're not prepared at times, and I know that's not the case. So that must that must kill the coaching staff. Yeah, that, that can be tough, Hogue. I mean, I mean, looking at the stats, however, Montreal was right there with mm-hmm. the same similar number yeah. of penalties, right? Mm-hmm. But in Toronto's case, the penalties were very ill-timed. They happened to be at yes. key times yeah. when there was a big play is coming back. Maybe it you know extended a drive for Montreal and. Uh, you know, when it happens at those times, it, it can kill you. Can you plan when the penalty is going to happen? No, you just mm-hmm. have to. It's basically, from my perspective, it's a lack of discipline, mm-hmm. right? And it's maybe if guys are getting a little tired, right? You maybe grab somebody a little too long or you're getting back in your heels or maybe you're leaning forward and you punch somebody in the face. and mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're not down as low as you need to be because your legs are a little bit fatigued or there's a, several different factors that play into it, but ultimately I think it comes down to discipline. It, it comes down to just mentally preparing yourself to taking that extra step so that you don't take a penalty on the special team side. Um, you know, maybe studying a guy a little further on film and, you know, really working on timing your punch mm-hmm. with, you know, the D lineman as he's sure. coming across and, you know, and, and just getting back to some key fundamentals because, uh, when you get away from those fundamentals, you end up with penalties. Defensively, uh, how would you assess the Argo game? Love the way they're playing on defense. Mm-hmm. Love the way they're playing on defense. D line again, just getting it done. Doesn't matter who's LBs. out there. No, it doesn't matter who's out there. Wynn was a monster. Yes, right. Wynn yeah. was a monster. Well, was a, he looked like he did in preseason when uh, when he you know here's a guy trying to make the team and show what he's got. Yes, for a defensive tackle, and we mentioned this a couple of times in the preseason, for a defensive tackle to stand out, that's tough to do. And he did in both of the preseason games, and he was omnipresent in that game on and Davis too on uh, on Friday night. Hoagie, less he led the defense in, in tackles. Yeah, at from the defensive, defensive tackle, tackle position. <laughs> How often does that happen, right? That's, yeah, I mean, you could probably count it on 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 one hand if, two, across two, the whole league if that happens throughout an entire season. Two tackles is a huge day for a defensive tackle, right? Right, because they're getting doubled constantly. Guys are running away from the middle for the most part. He racked up seven. Yeah, he racked it's up a, seven. It's amazing. Right, and you've got Marcus and Bear, and and they were flying all over and uh, and making mm-hmm. plays. So it, it, the defense, I think, kept them in the game mm-hmm. certainly early. You know, Durant's an excellent QB, yeah. um, and uh, they did get to him a bit. They 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 rushed him, and but the thing was that uh, Montreal was able to get back out there. They were able to finish their drives. The Argos couldn't finish their drives. They couldn't score, mm-hmm. and eventually that is going to hurt you. S.J. Green's uh, coming up in a couple of seconds here. Uh, he's pretty good. He's pretty good at oh, football. Goodness. Yeah, he's unreal, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. It's great. I mean, the Argos are very fortunate. Again, I don't even know how they got him. It's mm-hmm. just crazy that Montreal would let him go. But, uh, 
you know what? The Argos are recipients of, of the superstar S.J. Green, and it's great to have him here. Well, we'll get into it. We'll talk about uh, the trade with him and the catch that will live in CFL infamy and uh, his days growing up. He didn't have a great numerical record at you know, uh, down in Florida where he yeah. played uh, at Southern... At, uh, Hoagie, you say the catch. Florida. You say the, the catch. The, no, well, about the catches. Of all of the catches, <laughs> though, yeah. you know there's the catch. I know, I know. Against Saskatchewan. Yes, we'll get yes. into that. But at South Florida, his numbers were not good. As I, I'm, I've always been curious as to why. So we'll, we'll get into that with him as well as we continue with the uh, Double Blue Podcast. I'm Mike Hogan. That's Jeff Johnson. S.J. Green up here in a couple of seconds uh, as we continue getting ready for the Alouette rematch on Saturday afternoon. The Double Blue Podcast will continue on TSN 1050, the home of Argos football. Now, more of the Double Blue Podcast. And thanks for listening to the Double Blue Podcast. Jeff Johnson steps out of the room for a little bit, and S.J. Green takes the hot seat. How you doing? Doing all right. How are you? Good. We had Bear Woods on earlier, and I said, does anybody in your family call you Bear, uh, Jonathan anymore? And he said, no, it's all Bear. Does anybody call you Solomon, or is it S.J. to everybody you know? Most people say S.J., but every once in a while, my wife would give me a Solomon, or my mom would give me a Solomon. Is that only when uh, when they're mad at you? Yeah, most okay. of the time. <laughs> so that's something you don't want to hear. Um <laughs> Brandon High School down in Florida. Were mm. you any good when you played? I thought I was. Yeah, yeah. Because you played everywhere, right? You played. Yep. Uh, you played defense as well. I looked up the stats, and, and and you were a ball hawk on both sides of the ball. Yep. How I, much did you enjoy playing safety? I enjoyed it a lot. I actually had a Division One offer to play safety in college. I just wanted the ball in my hands and chose to play play offense. Where was the D one offer from? Um, University of Connecticut. Really? And you said UConn, and was part of it stay close to home in Florida, or you just wanted to play receiver? My biggest thing was obviously wanted to stay home close to Florida because I had two brothers who were in a local high school that Mm -hmm. I I wanted to be able to try to get to see play, um, which didn't work out to my favor. But, um, uh, yeah, that was that's. And then so so you go, you stay at home, you play to South Florida. What was that experience like for you? Not only on the field, but just sort of, you know, getting out of, away from home for the first time and, and, and sort of... It was know, it was big. It was big for me. You know, the biggest thing for me is the roommates that I had in college. We were all local guys. Mm-hmm. So we were all, uh, we all went to each other's houses, um, you know, to get home-cooked meals or whether it's my mom coming to pick up my laundry to do my laundry for me. Nice. Uh, you know, it was it was the little small things that I really, really, you know, kept me honed in on, on what was important. What did you learn most about yourself when it, when you sort of get away from home for the first time? Um, I learned that I was a pretty, pretty responsible person. Mm-hmm. That was probably, uh, that was a good thing to realize. Um, you know, I was always attentive to details. Mm-hmm. I was always kind of a neat freak, so I was always very organized. And um, that kind of, you know, went with me as I, progressed in life well in high school didn't you get you got an award for not only athletics but uh academics for academics as well correct yep, yep. what does that what does that mean to you because um, I, mean, I assume that you were one of the big men on campus in terms of sports but when you're recognized for your academics and sort of you know and that uh myth of being the dumb jock which a lot of guys get right. and a lot of guys are frankly how much <laughs> did that mean to you and, it, your, and, and it, your mom you mentioned it meant a lot and my made my mom proud made my dad proud yeah um gave my, my brother something to be proud of but ultimately it was um it was big for me because, you know, like you say, the, the dumb jock is what, what most athletes get, right? Yeah. And um, for me, um, I was able to walk around that school with, uh, with my, held head, my head held high, knowing that I was uh, accomplishing my goals in both on the field and off the field. What was your best memory playing at South Florida on the field? Best memory at South Florida on the field would be 2005, four, mm-hmm. at TCU. Okay, what happened there? I had like seven or eight catches for like 96 yards. That was like the closest I ever got to 100 yards in college. 
mm-hmm. and that was um, the last time I had ever gotten close to more than 50 yards in college in a game, honestly. I looked at your stats at college <laughs> and playing at a smaller college. I thought the numbers would be a lot better than they were. Um, what was your offense like, and why didn't they feature you more? Because I hang on, I wrote this down. Uh, as a senior, thirteen games, twenty catches, twenty-two catches as a sophomore is a high. That's like two weeks for you up here. I don't know, man. Um, we had uh, our offense was based around small guys running running screens and quick bubble bubble passes, and I was utilized as a blocker. Okay, um, majority of my college career. So you were the decoy. Pretty much, yeah. And um, you know, to be honest with you, when I came, when I graduated in the spring of '07, um, I, my mind was made up to be done with football. I didn't really want to play anymore because it wasn't fun. I didn't like. I'm not gonna say I didn't like blocking, but I didn't like only blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to run routes and catch the ball, and I wanted to, you know, score touchdowns like the rest of the receivers in the country were doing. Sure. So, so you're not having fun with football. You don't put up good numbers. How did you get the attention of the Montreal Alouettes, or how did they get your attention? Well, my agent at the time, Lyle Masnikoff, was um, was representing me, mm-hmm. and uh, he told me that Montreal was coming to do an, an open tryout at University of South Florida, which was my college that I had been working out at. And um, I told my wife about it, and um, I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this, man. I, I just, I'm, I'm not feeling it anymore, yeah. you know. And she's like, uh, You need to go. You need to go do it. Um, I, in a couple years down the road, I don't want to hear. Um, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. Cause I'm gonna hear it. I know I am. So uh, I went out there, and um, Jim Pop and uh, Brock Sunderland were were the guys in charge of, of issuing contracts and getting guys on, and mm-hmm. they offered me a contract on the spot. So when when I think of you, when we thought, saw you in Montreal, I think 99% of the, the CFL fans, when they think of you, they think of the hands and the catching ability first. Was that something you had to work hard on, or did that just come naturally? That From the time that you were a kid playing Pop Warner or whatever, you were just able to go up and get the football? Um, you know, looking back at it, it was it was something natural that I, that I had. Um, I obviously worked at it to, to try to perfect my craft, obviously, mm-hmm. but... Um, we had a game that we played back in the day. It was called uh, 500. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Playing baseball, yeah. Yeah, you doing football too. We are, yeah. So basically, the guy just throws the football up in the air as high as he can, and about 20, 30 yards down the way, you got about six or seven kids trying to catch the ball. And, same thing in baseball. Same right. thing with baseball. Sure. So you did that with football. Did that with football. So and I was the guy that always would just go up and get the ball out of the air over everybody. Thinking back on it now, you know that's that's what was happening, and um, makes me feel like that was kind of a, a natural gift that I was blessed with and um you know as the years progressed I just you know put the work in to help perfect that and try to be as best at it as I possibly could were you always taller than your, your peers as well or did um, you have like a late spurt in high school for the most part I was mostly on the on the bigger side mm-hmm. as opposed to the kids that, were, that I was in school with so you sign a contract you come up here what's your first impression of Canada of Montreal of Quebec I was uh in awe mm-hmm. I was uh and in, in not in a good way mm-hmm. I was um Disappointed, I, I felt out of place. I didn't feel like Montreal was a setting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my first two years up there, it was really just all football. Um, go to football practice, come home, sit in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I didn't really get out into the city of Montreal until my third year. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really fell in love with the city. You, you mentioned that we did, had this conversation uh, before you went to Montreal, and I was surprised by that. What was the turning point for you? Like, was you, was it one trip downtown? Was it uh, just you know more comfortable? Was it fra- fra- maybe you got a different core of friends going out the third year? Um, I think that third year I had gotten comfortable with a group of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I had had my ups and downs of not playing. Sure. So I was uh, discouraged about not being on the field. So I didn't feel like I had much to go out and celebrate. Um, so, so Witt told us the story last week about um, he goes up to Montreal. Same thing, right? He just he wasn't getting into it. And he said he wasn't really expecting to stay. So he brought two pairs of clothes. And he borrowed clothes from you. And, like, I had to stop him in mid-sentence and say, come on. Like, you're not the same size. <laughs> what did he look like wearing your clothes? Well, um, you know, we tried to make it, tried to get some of the smaller clothes that I had, you know. <laughs> but, did he um, pull it off? He did. I mean, you know, he, you know it, was, it was around that time of year where it was getting cold. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't have a jacket. You know, he didn't have long sleeves. So, you know, me being the person that I am and the upbringing that I have, you mm-hmm. know. Gave him a shirt off my back, you know? Sure. And, uh, you know, looking back at it today is, you know, one of those things that's like, wow, we didn't we didn't have anything. Yeah. We didn't have anything. Which makes you more appreciative of what well, you've been able to, to earn in this league, right? Well, what you got was not handed to you at any stage in your career, obviously. Right. What you have now, the reputation, you know, we've got the numbers out in front of us uh, with the record book right now. Those numbers are hard work. It's not just, oh, come on, SJ, you can come play with us. Right. Um, that must make you pl- even more proud of your accomplishment that, you know, you weren't one of these, you know, guaranteed first round draft picks that take their talent for serious, you know, right. lightly. It is. You know, everything everything I've ever had um, football wise, I've had to work for. I've never been given a position, I've never been given um, a game plan to be like, this is your game plan based around you. Everything is you have to go out and prove yourself. And um, <clears throat> I think that is uh, what has allowed me to to flourish in this league is just the constant reminder of having to continuously prove myself year in and year out. You know, I, I use this, this scale in my head. Like, you get paid um, this year for what you did last year. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's really how it goes. And you have to, every year you have to go out and put out so that you can get a check for the next season, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that's just how this business is. And you had to prove yourself up here. Like, first year, you got a taste. And then second year, I think fans got to know who you were. And then third and fourth year, like, you really took to it. What Was there something that you had to adjust your game, or was it just opportunity? Were, were you um, were given the opportunity? And I you think went, it was okay. a little bit of both. Yeah? A little bit of both. So what did you work on? Um, just worked on some of the small things I worked on was just catching the hard catch. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I saw somebody do that was watching Ben Calhoun do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to see him do the jugs machine and, you know, do cartwheels and backflips and catch a ball. But um, <laughs> And I would ask him why he's doing these crazy acrobatic things, and he's like, well, how do you expect to catch it if you don't practice catching them, right? So, what, like, I assume you're being a little facetious with, like, would he do, like, just... Not, okay, yeah, okay. But, but what would he do, like, as far as contorting he would just, his body? He and, would contort his body and do, make, do the, the di- crazy and ridiculous catches that he would make in a game, and he would do them on the jug machine. Mm-hmm. He'd run past the jug machine and reach back and catch it. Um, you know, he'd just make it, make it look uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And on game day, it, it looked easy. Yeah. So what did you did you start doing and that I, as and well? I, and I started doing it as well. Mm-hmm. I would run past it. I'd catch it with one hand. I'd catch it overhand, underhand. Just try to catch it in every different way of possibly being, able, possibly being able to catch a ball so that no matter what angle the ball comes at me in the game, I'm prepared for it. It's something I've seen before. Who's got better hands, you or Ben? Um, man. Because <laughs> Jeff and I had this discussion and it got, it, it wasn't heated, but it was like, you know, you can make a strong case for either one of you. But when we were trying to figure out who gets into this final discussion, it did come down to you and Ben. And Jeff's been, he was, what, 14 years in the CFL, and I've been watching the CFL for a little bit longer than that. Um, that's a hell of a compliment that you're in the same sentence with, uh, with Cahoon. It is. It's hum- that's, that's humbling. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I give the nod to Ben. 
Okay. Um, you know, he's a guy that I came in watching, a guy that I have a lot of respect for, and um, a guy that uh, I'm ultimately chasing. You know, he's ahead of me in all categories, so mm-hmm. um, he gets the nod. How big are your hands? Like, like if you shake Andy Fantuz's hand, his middle finger comes up to your elbow. Right? Like he, his hands are his hands, hands are huge, man. My hands are not three X's like Andy's, though. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so it's it's not like you were gifted with these these huge yeah. hands. You're I mean, just my hands my them. hands aren't small, but they're not Andy Fantuz big. Yeah. Fantus is a freak. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's something else. Um, tell us something about Anthony Calvillo that we don't know. Um, he, he has a sense of humor. So it's like so that's people are surprised by Ricky, right? They say, "What do you think of Ricky?" And if you say, "Well, he's got a sense of humor," people say that that's my reaction to AC, who's always been a gentleman every time I've spoken to him. But I I've never seen that playful side to him. Yeah, he's from he's from Los Angeles, so you know he has another side to him too, and. Um, you know, we all come from different places. We all have our own story, but uh, Anthony is—he uh, has a quite quite a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You know, we always used to joke on Anthony. Well, not me, but teammates used to joke on him because you know of his uh, of his ethnic background. He's Mexican, yeah. right? So um, people would always, you know, do the Mexican jokes. So he would always kick back the black jokes or the white jokes or mm-hmm. whatever it was. It was just—it was all in the fun, man. But it was just—it was cool to know that he could take those jokes and you know kick him back out and, and everybody have a good time so i think we're all thankful he stayed in the game are you surprised that he became a coach no i'm not surprised um i, I figured in some capacity he would be <clears throat> somewhere um in that montreal alouette coaching staff or front office or mm-hmm. something of some sort so no i'm not surprised uh at all that, he, that he's a coach now what was your highlight in montreal my highlight in montreal mm-hmm my highlight in Montreal was getting to play football with um, with Jamel Richardson. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Why did that? Why does that come to mind? Because he taught me so much. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he realizes it, and I don't even know if I've ever told him how much I really do appreciate him. But um, he taught me a lot, man. He he showed he showed me how to how to how to how to do this the right way. And more on the field or more off the field? Both. Mm-hmm. You know, and both in 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 good ways and bad ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a lot from him. Um, watching him have success, watching him not have success, watching him deal with adversity. Um, and, you know, just, just his approach to the game rubbed off on me too, you know, and um, working with him every day, um, not, him not allowing me to settle for what I was think I would be able to, I would want to settle for. He wouldn't let me settle for that. And uh, he always pushed me to if, push that envelope. If one of your teammates were listening right now, a guy who's been up here, Posey or somebody who's new to, to Canada, relatively speaking, has a ton of talent, and you were to, or if he came up to you and said, pass along something to me specifically that Jamel Richardson passed along to you, what would be the first thing you'd tell him? Play with that dog. Mm-hmm. Just It's just you play you play with play this game with a level of intensity and a level of confidence that can't be matched. Mm-hmm. Can that be taught, or is that something that you have to have instinctively? I think you got to have it in you, but it can mm-hmm. be pull, it can it can be pulled out of you. I don't think it can be taught, but I think it can be pulled out if it's in you. I, I would think that as a play would go, um, I think the highlight would be the catch against Saskatchewan. Um, it's impossible to see a CFL highlight package and not see that thing. Um, what what's your what's your memory of that uh, of that catch? Well, um, honestly, we ran the same play back two plays back to back. Because we the play before, I had a fade and I caught a touchdown in the corner of the end zone, and then we went back for the two point conversion. We ran the same play, mm-hmm. and this time, Donovan Alexander was the corner, and um, for some reason, I, I I thought to slip him inside and go inside. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> I just tried to catch him off guard. Mm-hmm. It didn't work, so I ended up spinning off of Donovan, and um, 
and I'm thinking in my head, man, you spent, that was too much. The ball's in the air, it's gonna be out of bounds. Mm -hmm. And AC put just enough air up under for me to run up under it and stick my hand out and, and make a catch. And then once I made the catch, I was just hoping that the referees would call me in bounds. That was, uh, that was unbelievable. We were in, uh, th this kind of shows you the reaction that had. Uh, we were playing in Calgary. So that game is up as we're getting ready for the second game of the double header. And there was a scream in the press box. Like everybody at the same time going, no! <laughs> they couldn't believe. When you saw the replay for the first time, did it seem sort of like an out-of-body experience? Like did that it was really that good? I mean, honestly, I mean, this may sound arrogant or cocky. I'm not sure how it may come out, but like I, I expected to make that catch. Um, but when you saw it, though, for the first time, even did when you I, realize it was as spectacular as it was? Even when I saw it, it looked like what it looked like when I was practicing doing it. I mm -hmm. mean, that offseason was the offseason that I had signed with the New York Jets, mm -hmm. and I had gotten released about two weeks prior to training camp in May. Okay. And um, about a week and a half prior to training camp in May. And I came back to camp with the Alouettes. And, um, but that entire offseason, we practiced. Mm -hmm. That one hand catch on the sideline, like my father in law, I think he threw his back out that 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 summer, mm -hmm. and that that off season, that was the last time we actually practiced throwing <laughs> throwing those catches, making those catches because he couldn't throw it to me anymore. But uh, we 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 did we did those at least at least a hundred a day, three times a week. You you mentioned um, uh, the one handed stuff with Ben and learning that. Uh, I don't know if you remember the catch Chad Owens made a couple of years ago in Ottawa, in the end zone, against Ottawa, one. yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had him on afterwards, and I asked him about it, and he said watching. Odell Beckham Jr. now, guys practice that more. Have you found that just from the time you came into the pros to now, there's a different level of awareness by receivers about making one-handed catches? Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to be honest, um, I remember that in 2007 and eight, Mike Emo, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, sure. But Mike Emo was a member of the Alouettes. Mm -hmm. And we used to, because uh, we, we didn't practice. We just stood on the sideline and played one-hand catching games all day. <laughs> I'm sure he remembers that. I know he does because I do. Mm -hmm. And um, we used to practice one-hand catches every day. We had a competition. Like the first one to catch 10 was the winner. You know, he had to catch it clean. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, you know, we just – I think now today in today's game, receivers are definitely more cognizant of catching the ball with one hand. You know? um, you're in Toronto now, and uh, we're glad to have you here, obviously, in Toronto. Um when did you hear about the trade, and how did you hear about the trade? Um, I heard about the trade pretty much before the trade happened. Mm -hmm. Agent um, was it? A, Cavis, was it I'm, 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 my, I'm my own agent, so I represent myself. Okay. And um, Cavis brought me in during minicamp when I was a member of the Alouettes, and you know, gave me the, the scenario, mm -hmm. and um, he pretty much you know allowed me to be involved in the process, which I'm grateful for because it didn't have to work that way, right? Mm -hmm. um, he gave me you know three teams, and I said. Um, with no hesitation, send me to Toronto. Just because of Jim and Mark? Um, mostly, yes. Mm -hmm. And the the receiver situation here. Sure. Um, you know, um, there was a lot of uncertainty as to who the number one guy was going to be here or mm -hmm. better yet, who's going to be here at all. Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, just looking around the rest of the league, um, you know, I pay attention to everything. And, you know, in free agency, Toronto wasn't very active. Um, they didn't spend much money in free agency because of the, the, uh, the GM situation. Sure. So I knew off the top of my head, just without even putting much effort or thought into it, that if anybody, you know, could uh could take my contract without, you know, it being a hassle to them, it would be it would be Toronto. Mm -hmm. So it, I didn't want to go to uh, in Edmonton where they have another high paid receiver over there, sure. and um, Saskatchewan. I just uh, 
I really couldn't see myself going to Saskatchewan and being in that environment mm -hmm. just yet. You know, they have their own, they have their group of receivers over there too that I'm not sure what the pay scale is over there, but I know they got some guys getting some decent money over there too. Mm -hmm. So, and um, I just felt like Toronto was the best fit for me, man. And, and then Mark and uh, Jim being here was what made it, the decision that much easier. And Ricky's here, and you played for AC, and you played for Ricky. Not many guys can say that. Very uh, true. What's the biggest comparable in your eyes in terms of just uh, the way the football arrives? Um, well, the way the football arrives, uh, man, I tell you what, both of those guys know where to go with the ball. Mm -hmm. They both have unbelievable accuracy. Um, they're both ultimately prepared every week. Like Those are two guys that when you take the field, you don't have to question or second-guess anything that they're doing you know it's like uh you just trust and know that they're going to be where they're supposed to be and do what they're supposed to do and you can really go out and just play your game and not have to worry about anything else it's funny you arrive here you get the first game in against hamilton and, and you put four up on the highlight reel pretty quickly how important was that first catch just to test out the knee it was everything to me um that first catch was uh everything that this that you know that that i could ask for it was a it was a catch of assurance um, it gave me the uh, the confidence to know that I can still play this game at a high level mm -hmm. and um, and get up and walk away from it, you know, healthy. Mm -hmm. So to be able to go up and make those plays, and especially that first one, um, was very, very huge for my confidence. I was going back to Montreal last week. Have fun? Uh, Montreal was great, man. You know, um, you know, I spent 10 years there. Um, to be back in that environment, back in that city was, was, uh, was heartwarming, but, you know, I'm at Argo now, so. That's good. Uh, you got 10 years there. I, I don't think you'll get 10 years here, but I hope you get as close to it as you could possibly <laughs> want to play at this stage. Right. Thanks so much for coming in here. We're, we're thrilled. you And you look so much better in double blue than that red, white, and blue stuff. Double Silver? blue. No. Double blue definitely looks good on me. That's good. Awesome. Thanks, Esther. Thanks for having me. Now, more of the Double Blue Podcast. That was SJ Green. My name is Mike Hogan. This is Jeff Johnson. Interesting guy. That was uh, an interesting discussion. And it's amazing those numbers he had at, uh, at South Florida when, when you think about it. And just uh, 22 catches is a career high for this guy with those hands. Incredible. 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 And, uh, I mean, they use him as a blocking receiver? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I mean, Hoagie, okay, the tie Cats, you know, when I first started in the CFL, yeah. I, I was returning kicks, yes. believe it or not. Well, that's, that's but I was the blocking guy, yeah, right? I sure. was in the backside, and if they happened to kick away from the primary returner, you had a running back, Archie you had Emerson, handle it. it was yeah. coming to me, right? And yeah, uh, yeah that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But SJ Green is the blocking receiver. That just kind of that goes to show you what kind of effort you're going to get from SJ Green mm -hmm. when the unselfish effort, sure, right? And if it's not going to him, he's still going to make plays, and uh, you know that that speaks volumes. Ricky Ray, as we record this, uh, it's Tuesday, and he's just talked to the media and uh, and said that he's hopeful to go on Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. Mark Tressman, kind of hopeful that he's going to be there as well, was maybe a little less uh, committive. Do you expect, just knowing Ricky the way you do, and if it's just a thing with inflammation, and, and hopefully that's all it is at this stage, um, maybe he can go. That, that would be huge. Oh, Hoagie, there's a few factors to consider, right? I mean, right away, first thing... If this is not a home and home with Montreal and its East Division rival, this East Division rivalry. Okay, if they're playing Calgary this week, do you start them? No, mm -hmm. no, because it's middle of the season. Mm -hmm. You're fighting for first place. Mm -hmm. it, you know, let's say they were still battling for first place. Sure. Um, it's not worth it long term. Mm -hmm. I think you know. But that being said, the situation is different. It's a home and home against your East Division rival, and uh, you know. Uh, 
I'm sure they're not going to put him out there if there's a high risk that he's going to re-injure it. Mm-hmm. Correct, right? I mean, yeah. like that only makes sense to me. So, uh, if it was a bruise, which likely it was, then great. It's just a matter of hey, how do you feel? Let's go. Um, if there's no, you know, uh, mechanical, you know, nothing actually going wrong dysfunctionally with the muscles and the tissues, mm-hmm. um, then he should be okay to, good do, to go. Do you give him more looks with a double tight end set, or go tight end and Declan Cross, or just just keep a, le- a couple of extra bodies in there to make sure there's less of a chance? For Ricky to get smacked, or well, does that just stop what you're doing? Because you're going to leave Whitaker in there anyway. So, uh, you know, had a couple of monster blocks on Friday, by the way. But um, yes, he did. Do, do, do you bring in more guys? Take no, a few out of the box. Well, or? the running game looked great last week. I think with the yards that they had, no, I, I don't. I don't bring more guys in the box. What I do is I just change the uh, the offensive patterns a little bit. I, I would roll with more with a uh, primary route being a shorter pass, a quicker pass to get okay. the ball out of his hands, mm-hmm. you know, a little quicker so that sure. he's not dropping back. I'm not going with a five step drop more, a lot more of a quick game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, flip out to the, to to Whitaker out in the flats in the swing passes. The receivers coming across in the shorter patterns. Um, and, the, and then up. mixing in yeah. the, the the longer patterns, the deeper the deeper routes, a little less frequently. Is uh, is Ricky Ray the most important player in the CFL? I mean, every quarter, every team is going to say that about their quarterback. But you know, look what happened in BC. One quarterback goes down, and the other one comes in and plays spectacularly well. Yeah. Um, tough to say, Hogue, because we don't know exactly what's behind him. Yeah. Right. We haven't yeah. seen a lot of Cody Fajardo or Jeff Matthews. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, if uh, right now, yeah, he's one of the most important players in the CFL for sure. But, you know, if you look across the league, every team's got a pivot right now who's playing great football. Sure. Right? And so I guess essentially the future of a lot of teams or the course of, you know, for this particular season is dependent upon their pivot staying healthy. Um, again, I think the Argos have a really good defense, and I think they can still win mm-hmm. with Cody Fajardo or Jeff Matthews being the pivot. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the first game. Oh. Teams trying to make changes. Last week was the first game. Teams trying to make a lot of changes on a, on a you know one week of preparation takes a little time to get the new guy going to make yeah. those adjustments to get the receivers in sync. We've talked about it a lot over the last couple of years. The the amount of time that that takes, mm-hmm. and um, you know I think uh, I think the Argos would still win with a really good defense and some special teams. They could still win football games. And they may get a little boost this week. Alan Michael Cash is really close. Uh, he may yeah. be able to go. Lyndon Gadosh was in there. He got into a few reps, obviously. On a Friday night, so it's it's a new look, but we'll see who you know how these guys start coming back from the sixth game. There are a lot of guys on the sixth game list right now. Yes, um, so we'll see when they start coming back. But um, good you know, news, good news. Just you know, trying to move forward and keep the head down and keep chugging, and that'll be on uh, Saturday afternoon. Argos and Alouettes, and uh, don't forget the the free admission to the CNE. If you buy the ticket for the Argo game, just go to the X. It's not a bad deal. I think it's fantastic. And who you picked Montreal to win last week. You were accurate. Who do you like this week? I'm going Argos this week. Mm-hmm. Why? What's the big difference? They're at home. It's home and home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the team has had, depending if, if it is Cody Fajardo or Jeff Matthews, the team has had another week of working under the pit, under you know that quarterback, particular quarterback starting. Mm-hmm. If it's Ricky, Ricky knows he can step back in, and he's good enough that he doesn't need to have a lot of reps to be back in sync with his guys again. Mm-hmm. Um I think uh, the Argos understand how important this game is, being the you know the home and home, and, and with the this East Division um, rival that's uh, at stake. So 
I'm going Argos. There you go. And we'll have the game on TSN 1050. And uh, JJ, thank you, sir. We'll uh, we'll get it done on Saturday. Thank you very much, my man. Jacob Dearlove is our producer. How do we do, Jacob? Double thumbs up this time. Okay, it must have been okay today. Well, that's probably all for SJ, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> all SJ, baby. Very good. We'll uh, see you down at BMO on, uh, on Saturday. If not, again, you can watch the game on TSN or listen to it on TSN 1050. Thanks for listening to the Double Blue Podcast.